0: Thank you, Craig. And thank you, Mandy, for bringing us a time for all ages that helps us mark the beginning of Black History Month. So friends, I had the worst craving for normality last week. I wanted so badly to go out to eat, simply to sit at a table with a few people, have a server, take our orders, and bring us food. I talked with my kid's dad and we settled for the closest thing that felt safe. He went and got some takeout and brought it to our place. The three of us sat in the kitchen together and shared a meal. This is my COVID normal. Catherine lives with me a week at a time, every other week, and I have some small interaction with her dad when we switch. We cook our meals, do curbside pickup for most of our groceries and supplies. We walk the dog, sometimes on the frozen lake or at a dog park where we might get to chat with other humans. I have a weekly virtual happy hour with my closest friend in town. And once in a while when the weather is in the positive double digits, I make a bonfire and invite him over. And the other regular Zoom and phone conversations with friends and chosen family. I'm lucky compared to many I have lots of options and I know it and I'm grateful. And at the same time, we humans are not made to be so separated from one another. And like many of you, I'm feeling the grief and the exhaustion that this prolonged isolation has created. And so in between this space, I've been thinking about what I might like my post COVID life to look like. Because clergy often engage in pastoral care, in hospital and hospice settings, many of us are eligible to be vaccinated. And I put my name in last week. So suddenly I'm thinking about it in a much more immediate way. While part of me has actually enjoyed working from home in a lot of ways, I've also missed the spontaneous interactions I used to have with Ansley at the office or with you when you've just stopped by to drop something off. I've missed the three dimensional versions of you all. And I'm tired of having to choose between seeing you on a screen or seeing your whole faces. I've really liked being around Catherine Moore and virtual school seems to suit her. And at the same time, she hasn't gotten to see any of her friends. And I worry about the impact of that. So the COVID task force and the Worship and RE teams are starting the processes of investigating how we might begin to gather in person as it becomes increasingly safer to do so. And let me be clear, that's still off in the distance a little bit. We're thinking about hybrid approaches to Sunday mornings, where we begin to have small numbers of people in the building while we continue to use technology to stay as accessible as possible for people who can't be there physically. This is still quite a ways off, but I want you all to know that the research and the planning are already getting started. So some of us, and by us, I mean us humans, some of us humans are also finding themselves with the resilience and the capacity to be thinking about what our communities and our world might look like in the aftertimes, like Arundhati Roy, In the midst of this terrible despair, she writes, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. I don't know if you're one of the people with that capacity. I know that I move in and out of that space from day to day, if not from hour to hour. When I do find myself in that space, I think about what I want the new normal to look like, And it's really not all that different from what I wanted the world to look like before the pandemic. Enough healthy food and clean water for everyone on the planet. Enough resources and enough compassion for all people to be taken care of, regardless of their skin color or their origin or their ability to work. Stewardship of our earth home so it can continue to be healthy and resilient enough for its own sake and to nurture and support us the creation of the beloved community where every person has their basic needs met so they can grow and learn and thrive. Building that beloved community requires the kind of love this congregation has been practicing your entire 28 years together, understanding goodwill for all and loving others for their sakes and making no distinction between a friend and enemy. The care and compassion you offer each other, the responsibility y'all take for our children and youth, the stewardship each of you offer this congregation, the radical hospitality you all offer our friends and our visitors, and the work you do for peace justice and sustainability in our community all show goodwill and love of others within and beyond. And we live in a world of deep division and disparity. And for many of us who are able to remain unaware of this in our history and our present, this pandemic has shown a light. we are seeing the effects of patriarchal white supremacy, and violent extractive consumerism on our human siblings and our planet in ways that some of us have been able to remain oblivious until now. But many more of us are paying attention and more attention to what our Black siblings, our Indigenous siblings, our siblings of color have been saying, screaming that their lives matter that they and we and our planet are dying for the sake of a way of life that is only attainable for a few and devastating for the rest. The doomsday machine we've built for ourselves. There's a lot of attention paid, I think, to the language of love when we talk about Dr. King's vision of the beloved community. And as I mentioned earlier, Our congregation practices that love in many, many ways. I think we also need to be paying explicit attention to his call for reconciliation and redemption. What do you think he means with that call? What might reconciliation and redemption look like in these times? I'm beginning to think about that. And if you have thoughts on that, I hope you'll write them into the chat and I'll read them aloud and maybe reflect on them in a few minutes. So I have a few of my own ideas and I'll admit they're relatively broad and simplistic because that is where dreaming begins. For those of us who benefit from the systems that are impacting others, including myself, of course, I think redemption requires seeing those impacts for what they are, recognizing that there are inequities, recognizing that they are sometimes deadly, recognizing my role, our role, in maintaining those systems, and not to the end of feeling shame or guilt about it, right? That's not useful. We are all parts of these systems. And I know that I for sure have not built them. I simply helped to maintain them in my everyday living. So the guilt and shame isn't useful, but to the end of learning what we might do differently. And for me, that's the reconciliation part. As Bob Marley wrote in the song we heard a few weeks ago, emancipate yourself from mental slavery, none but ourselves can free our minds like everything else in our lives that require work and reflection, it's best to do this with support, of course, in community. And it is some of the work we do here together in relationship with people who are impacted by the system we're part of. In my own life, for example, I learned about the obstacles to success encountered by people, excuse me, I learned about the obstacles to success encountered by people after they've served time in prison when a member of the congregation for which I was an intern invited me to a support group for people in reentry. Week after week, I heard the stories of people who had served time for felonies and were struggling with getting jobs, with finding housing, with meeting all the requirements to stay on parole. I came to recognize how I benefited from having these people be practically invisible to me before being invited to this group, that I hadn't had to think about how hard it was to survive and stay out of prison once released or about even what put them there in the first place. This prompted me to do a lot of reading and learning about mass incarceration and to have conversations with the people in the congregation I was serving that were in that support group. And then to get involved in Moses when I came to Madison and to stay proximate to the stories here of people who have been released from prison. I Think if we're willing to have our eyes opened and then work to make change based on what what we see, then we're working in that realm of redemption and reconciliation. I also think that we have to be able to work toward change without necessarily having a picture of the end goal in mind. As we've heard so many times this past year, these are unprecedented times. There is much we're unsure of, and we will continue to be unsure of. The dual pandemics of white supremacy culture and COVID-19 have brought to light many of the impacts of inequity that have been in place for so long. And they've escalated many of the efforts toward redemption and reconciliation. We know what's wrong. We're learning more and more about what's wrong. And we're starting to build ideas about right what might look like. And there's plenty of room for imagination. And so that brings us to our third reading from the Reverend Teresa Soto. I'm going to look at the chat for your thoughts on reconciliation and redemption and share them after Craig finishes the the sorry, the reading, not the meeting. (laughs) Thank you. So now you get to watch me cutting and pasting because that reading wasn't quite long enough to cover what I need to do here. I'm very grateful for all of your responses. Give me just a moment. Looks like y'all are still typing. All right, I'm just gonna read them right from the chat instead of trying to paste them in. So what might reconciliation and redemption look like in these times? More diversity in civic leaders, which is followed by by the same person vote this spring. So there's something they can do. Welcoming folks into our community, which is James Reeb and political communities and geographic communities with open arms and offers of forgiveness while not conceding on the truth and building a better system that will benefit everyone, even those who disagree. That's the hard part sometimes, right? The ones who disagree. Um, When we're part of a faith tradition that emphasizes the inherent worth and dignity of each person, we know that that isn't just Us, right? But it's people that we might think of as them at times. Another person says, I think it must include recognizing the humanity of those who believe and vote differently from us or get our news from different sources, the enemies as well as friends, which is better than I was just trying to say, thank you. Universal healthcare. Start following nature's time cycles instead of the artificial economic time cycles. What a shift that would be, huh? Waking up when the sun comes up, going to bed when it goes to bed, being flexible enough, having our systems be flexible enough for that to happen. A type of education that works for each child, wigglers and gigglers and studious ones, those who speak English like scholars and those who don't know a single word, absolutely. I think there's so many levels that that's true um, in education but also just in society, right? How easy is it to ignore people who Take a long time getting to what it is they're trying to say in the midst of thinking it through, right? And people who speak different native languages, Um, for sure. Supporting Black and Latinx owned businesses and political candidates, absolutely. Universal basic income, reparations think that is a sermon I've been putting off <laughs> and one that I think I want to I want to delve into a conversation I want to delve into with all of you create true tribal sovereignty recognizing all tribes and supporting indigenous people to pull them out of the poverty our government forced them into yes it isn't just about black lives mattering yeah Really listening to the stories of those my silence and complicity have helped oppress. Thank you. Forgiveness. Remembering that forgiving is a beginning place for love. I love that. I love that. I think um, I've preached before about um, how forgiveness isn't when, when I try to when I try to be in that space, how it isn't necessarily for the other, for the person who I believe needs forgiving, right? It's a process within my own heart that allows me to move into that beginning place for love. Getting along with family members who think differently than you do. Yeah, that's on all sides. Someone tuned it, uh, um, sorry, someone else is highlighting the comment about indigenous and Asian folks who are so often forgotten in conversations about race. Invisibility is real and yes, it still is real. Plaques acknowledging, honoring people who were lynched and slave sale locations, yeah. I had an experience in New Orleans a few years back when I was there for General Assembly, where I was standing on the portico where they used to do the slave sales. And there is a plaque there reminding us. So it is harder to just stand and look at the beauty of of the place and the architecture and the square and say, oh, what a lovely place. You're also, um, I was also reminded of what happened there. Um, which felt really important. Owning when we mess up and realizing healing takes time and continued effort. Yeah. Yeah, we mess up all the time. I mess up all the time. Um, Sometimes I can own it and acknowledge it and be brave enough to come to that place. And sometimes I can't and don't but it is practice that is super important. Thank you friends for all of those thoughts. I will copy them and put them in a document to remember them so that they're not lost. May we keep bringing these thoughts and ideas into the community we've created and continue to create every time even two of us meet. And let them guide us into building the beloved community all around, with care and with love between us, to support us in the work. May it be so. May we be so.